here we are, season two, live from Agilum. Uh, we're excited to have you with us tonight, today, whatever it is, wherever you are. I've got Sam Pinkova to my left. Hello. And David Laflame uh, directly in front of me. I'm here. He's here. Um, and, you know, we just kind of wanted to thank you for being with us. This Those... is my house. I'm always here. <laughs> That's true. We are in uh, a basement studio, makeshift basement studio. Um and we just want to thank those of you who were with us for the first season. It was a wild ride for us in the studio and hopefully for you as well. We were um, learning how to do it. It was it's difficult to yeah, do. Yeah. We Podcasting learning. is not easy. It isn't. You'd think it is, but it's actually like even before I recorded this, there was a couple takes of me just trying to get the jitters out cuz if you're insecure already and then someone puts a mic in front of you and then you realize the implications of your voice carrying and people hearing it, it's just all very scary. So it can definitely be an intimidating process, but we've got some good feedback, um, you know, and we're hoping that this this season will just kind of grow together and, as Dave would say, uh, spiral upward. We almost got a thousand listens, so thank you for listening. Yeah, that's yeah, thousand. That's downloads. shocking. That nine hundred and fifty-eight or something right now. It's shocking to me that that many people would be interested in tuning into a makeshift basement studio podcast. Yeah, I mean, it's not a huge amount of listeners, but it's. It's cool to have any, so a thousand is like that. Anyone would be interested. is more than zero. <laughs> <laughs> right. That anyone would be interested, and and uh, just you know a few changes going forward with season two, just so everybody is up to speed. Uh, we are missing one legend in the studio, and that is Andrew, uh, who has really put in a lot of time, a lot of hard work, a lot of energy, um, and has just been crushing it for years. He's been our our resident intellectual that we bounce our ideas off of, and just jack of all trades just really understanding so many things that a lot of us had never even been exposed to you know and uh we miss him dearly but he's a good uh, dude yeah he yeah. really oh, yeah. is and he's going on to crush life in a different way in a different direction and we are rooting for him from this basement studio we just want you know we just want the world to know how freaking special he is if he hears this he's probably blushing and saying matt you're being ridiculous but i mean all of that straight from the bottom of my Irish heart. So you Same you won't your hear... Your wicked Irish heart. My wicked Irish heart, kid. Um, <laughs> so, so yeah, and so there there might also be other voices you won't hear, um, and that is because we're kind of changing the structure a little bit as a group, which is that we, we used to have it that we only podcasted when all of us were, you know, able to come to the studio, and that's part of why, honestly, we, we weren't able to put so many out because it's syncing six schedules... You know, the day and age we live in with families and jobs, and it, it's really difficult. So this, you know, this season, we're thinking more that whoever is available will podcast. The structure this season is going to be different, both uh, because of uh, scheduling purposes. And also we want people to be able to run with ideas and not have to have everyone involved in the studio. Or, you know, if, you know, someone is uncomfortable with an idea or it's, it's territory they're they're not familiar with, they don't feel studied in and they, they just don't want to put their voice on wax on it or you know, it's too controversial. What, however it goes, we want everybody in the group to be able to come whenever they can and, you know, record it whenever they can. So those are just some things we wanted to keep you guys and gals in the loop uh, with. Um, just kind of uh, housekeeping, essentially, just so you know some changes that we're experiencing. Some good, uh, some, you know, kind of sad, but also good in a different way. And, um, you know, here we go. So this is the first podcast that I... Uh, chose the topic and brought it to the group and really wanted the group to chat about this because it's something I'm studying um, in school 
and it's also something I've just been thinking about a ton. So I'm really excited to chat about it tonight with everybody. Um, and it's it's a subject that might be a little sensitive for some folks listening, and I don't mean that in a condescending way, but in, in that um, we'll be discussing religion and also um, how sometimes we can use it as a coping mechanism or a numbing mechanism uh, versus dealing with some of those uh, difficult and painful experiences and, and trying to heal from them in a different direction. So, um, you know, if you're listening, uh, please please know that I'm not I'm not bringing up this topic because I'm looking to critique the whole world from our studio um, or to criticize your religion or the way that you practice it, but more so uh, to examine a psychological phenomena that I think is um, really, really important to unpack and discuss. Um, so John Wellwood is a um, transpersonal psychologist, and in other places I've heard him call himself an existential psychologist, and he coined this term a couple decades ago called spiritual bypassing. <clears throat> And I'm just going to give you kind of his definition in his own words, just so I don't botch it up. But he calls it the tendency to use spiritual ideas and practices to sidestep or avoid facing unresolved emotional issues. Um, he also adds the caveat, um, psychological wounds and unfinished developmental tasks. So the tendency to use spiritual ideas and practices to sidestep or avoid facing unresolved emotional issues. That's the key there. And then also some of those psychological wounds and unfinished developmental tasks. So that's the definition? Right. Read it again, please. Um, the tendency to use spiritual ideas and practices to sidestep or avoid facing unresolved emotional issues, psychological wounds, and unfinished developmental tasks. So that's our that's our uh, definition, and he coined that term actually uh, from his observations within a Buddhist community. So he's both a psychologist and a practicing Buddhist, and he was noticing that people were um, they were using their spirituality to avoid uh, dealing with certain psychological issues or experiences um, that were painful. Which you know, if we're going to be honest, uh, of course, is a lot easier to do. Um, you know, it's a lot easier to, to bypass an experience than to really look at it in the face and try to grapple with it. Um, so, you know, it's not like we're even saying this is a phenomena that we should be condemning people for because it makes sense. You know, it, it's, uh, it's a much easier route to take than to really start to, um, you know, dig deep and try to figure out what some of these experiences have done to us on an emotional level. But it was something he observed, and um, it was presented to me from uh, my professor last semester. We were reading, um, I'm going to just kind of give this book a shout out, and we'll put a link in the notes for those who, you know, just feel like buying a psych textbook randomly. Um, it's called Dimensions of Human it's, Behavior. It's not random though, right? Because I don't think you told them, but you're you're in training to be, you're, you're in right. social worker training. Yes, I am you currently to become a therapist. When I say random, I just mean like you know, not everybody just like, hey, I'm just going to buy a psych textbook randomly. So the book is uh, entitled "Dimensions of Human Behavior, Person and Environment," and it's by Elizabeth D. Hutchison, and I believe it's chapter six on the spiritual person that goes into different ideas within transpersonal psychology. This idea of spiritual bypassing was brought up, and um, it has not left me. That was maybe six or eight months ago I heard it, and I just keep thinking about it. And I'm thinking about it because um, I realized that I did it 
in my own life. And to me, it was uh, both saddening and fascinating and profound um, to think about the ways that I avoided dealing with certain issues I had or things I had experienced and the way I framed it, you know, and the way I was able to move past it and 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 kind of mask these experiences, these, these wounds, and, and, and really just like, I guess you could say, act like they never happened. Not that I was living in denial, though maybe I was, but I really just kind of carried on like, like it was good. And, and, and there were certain theological underpinnings of that. There were certain um, philosophical ideas that contributed to that. And then there was, you know, maybe a certain fear deep, deep beneath the bus. There was maybe a fear of what, what will happen if I open that door that my brain has uh, so kindly shut for me. But it was something I realized that I did. Um, I bypassed. So again, when you listen to this, if, if you're thinking I'm critiquing anyone specifically or trying to you know, correct the world from the studio, I'm really not. I'm, I'm speaking about something I did and that I've also observed uh, in others. So with that being said, um, you know, I'm not really sure where the guys want to take it from here, but uh, that's really what I wanted to talk about was this phenomena of bypassing certain things. Um, you want to give some... Like maybe we could talk about uh, some examples. So like the guy's definition, the guy, I'm sorry. Uh, the John Wellwood. John Wellwood's yeah. definition is, you know, things that allow you to avoid. Not, uh, obviously he didn't say things, but he's talking about avoiding facing unresolved emotional issues, psychological wounds, and unfinished developmental tasks. So like what could be emotional issues that you would sidestep and how would you sidestep them? Well, I mean, that's a huge question. So I would say like, like just some examples like am, so am, one example that's like glaring is like childhood trauma. Um, well, that would be psychological wounds, but like emotional issues. So yeah. an emotional issue. OK, so you could talk about someone who has like a problem you get with angry, anger. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So yeah. you could say someone has a problem with anger and um, they they hate that about themselves. Number one, they don't know why they're always angry. They don't know why they can't be kind or why they can't cool off and just settle down. And there's something, there's something there that's triggered. There's something there that is being activated. And I think what can happen is somebody would go, you know, to a religious framework, and that religious framework would say there's mercy for uh, sin or weakness or failure or brokenness, and there's a repentance. So there's this, uh, you know, psychological release that I'm, I'm not, I'm no longer bound by the bad thing I did, and then there is a moving past it, like I described with myself. Um, and then they kind of just keep struggling with that issue. But, but it would be, I think it would be wise to say, why am I angry? Um, what is it that evokes this feeling in me? And, you know, is it a red flag? Am I, am I uncomfortable? Does it have to do with, you know, this season of my life, the situation I'm in, you know, like to, to start asking the whys instead of consistently going the same route, which is, man, I'm, I'm really crappy and I shouldn't do this and I need mercy, I need forgiveness. And then, you know, I get that psychological release and then I keep struggling. But what if we were to say, why do I have this issue? And again, you can't always figure it out. It's not like some simple black and white thing. 
But, but we you can, can attempt to understand the mechanics of your exactly. emotional makeup, right? Exactly. But I'm attempting I, to explore. Yeah, what, like, you almost, like, become a journalist of your own experience. That's a great right? way to say it. You could yeah. say, like, oh, wow, when when this happens, I'm triggered into this kind of right. emotional pattern. Right. You know, like, sorrow, anger, elation. Sure. Like, good and bad, right? You Like, you can have emotional issues that like can take you off course or or make you apathetic right? right like there's a bunch of things that could happen and and sidestepping it like being able to move forward without dealing with the pattern as it is exactly it, it, yeah i mean and you don't necessarily need like this is spiritual bypassing but you don't need a spiritual um you don't need a spiritual framework to bypass emotional issues. No, this no, because people do about, it outside of religious frameworks all the time. So this is about like having having a doctrinal framework that that actually prevents you from improvement. Yes, it it it, it it's a surrogate for improvement or a, or a replacement for improvement. Maybe not a surrogate. Like sometimes it's a surrogate, right? Like sometimes doctrine can, like a given doctrine, a good a given religious principle can give a person it can act as a vehicle or a surrogate for emotional development yes so it's not that religion is so like just to to amen what matt said earlier like this is not a demonizing of religion this is just saying that that sometimes there are there's a chicken and the egg part of it where you say like does the doctrine does the doctrine get designed to give someone a pass or is it is it utilized as a as a pass that you could you know yeah, or it's, it's hard to do you say know what I'm saying sources. or does it or do, you know in chicken and the egg in the sense that it could create in a person a type of like um, get out of jail free card sure. too but but like not all religious principles do that and we're not no and no. and we're not saying that but but it is interesting that in this case we're talking like this is a bypassing that that is coupled with you know a proposition. Yes. you know a, 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 a metaphysical proposition and that instead of emotional development you are you are referring to this system and a proposition within the system at you know to either be a replacement for emotional development or a surrogate and right it's like a gamble isn't it yeah and I think Sam what were you gonna say I don't want to oh. I want to make sure you get this yeah I, say. Uh, just trying to clarify what this bypass thing is uh would it also include destructive behaviors like you're you're into some sort of destructive behavior but you've got a pass because of the doctrine that you have i mean that's that's a big part of it too i I wasn't ready to go there yet but i I do want to go there and i think um especially with addictions um you can have somebody who cannot break free because they won't leave a certain framework and again, I'm not talking about leaving a religion, but re- leaving a certain framework which would essentially enable them. Because I, I don't know if you guys have ever heard the phrase that some people mistake grace for enablement. Yes. Yeah. Um, so yeah. so that idea... I mean, of, there's even a verse about it, like don't take grace as a license to right. sin. Yeah. Yeah, so I think... Um, I, or is it the opposite? Some people mistake enablement for grace. <laughs> It's one of the two, but the idea is that um, in, it could probably work both ways, actually. Yeah, right? but in in running to 
whether it be the the faith system itself or a particular um, set of doctrines that you find release or relief from, um, you end up sidestepping the actual issue, which is the addiction. And like, and yeah, I mean, have have there been cases? So I want to make sure I say this: Have there been cases where somebody has told me? I have been free from drug addiction or alcohol addiction because of my faith or my faith system for X amount of years that never had, uh, you know, like psychological treatment in the classical sense or were, you know, sent into uh, an addiction program or something like that. Yes, I have been told that. So I'm not throwing shade on someone's avenue of freedom, you know, or or someone's healing that they found through an avenue that maybe I'm not super comfortable uh, prescribing. But I would say that like, you know, it could be that that destructive behavior pattern, that addiction that you're struggling with that you haven't broken free from in X amount of years, it could be that that's because you're stuck inside of, you know, a, a certain prescribed way of dealing with it and a certain doctrinal framework that, it, I, I, hate, I hate saying this, but but that essentially enables you to keep doing that thing, you know, with the, with the grace card, with... Uh, a mercy pill, you know, like, and, and, and I think sometimes like you have a person who, you know, they find, they find a warm and a loving community and they find that they're struggling and they find a lot of strength from that community. And I know I've experienced that before, but then when it comes to the nuts and bolts of addiction, that the people within that community might not understand it, they might not have uh, been trained in it. So the prescribed avenues are, you know, have faith, believe that God will heal you or free you or release you, and you will. But then you get someone two decades down the road, they've been doing that for two decades. Yeah. So my question is like, so A, with addiction, it can be genetic. There can be a proclivity you have because of, you know, gene expression. It can be, uh, you know, based on an abusive environment because, you know, you started coping that way. Because, I mean, a lot of addictions start because someone experiences some kind of trauma they can't process and they turn to something to cope with that trauma. And most most of the times that trauma is not even their fault. So it's not even like you can blame them for that addiction. It's that it's that they could be turning to the wrong place to actually get free from it. Um, and, and, and also to say, just to be balanced, you know, just because you go outside of a religious framework to get healing for addiction, that might not work either. It's not like a, there's no, you know, one fix all. But I would say that like, like you're saying, these destructive behavioral patterns, sometimes you have to leave that religious framework to actually look at them from a chemical level, from a neurobiological level, from a nature versus nurture level, from a person in environment framework. A lot of the problem with this, with spiritual bypassing is that we're starting to realize that a lot of these issues, psychological issues that were deemed spiritual issues are actually, they have physiological Yes. components yes. of them yes. that especially addiction yeah. especially addiction but e but just emotional emotional physiology is an important thing to understand yeah and though the lens of religious writings and religious contemplate like contemplative writings gives you windows into the emotional framework of people and the and and the, the you know the way that the mechanics of emotional of emotional life like you can see you can see a lot of truth in a lot of religious writings. Yes. But the problem is, is when it gets privileged above, uh, um, when it get, gets privileged above 
the attempts, the successful attempts of the sciences to understand the human body and the human mind and right. the answers that we found in it. Like, like, the, like for instance, bodily exercise profits, profits a little, right? Like, we're starting to realize the benefits of exercise are so ridiculous. Yeah. And it, for your emotional framework, for, I mean, and not that churches are against exercise with no, that no, verse. No. But, there's, but just, a ver there's an example of a verse that could hold you back from something you need. Right. If, if if taken literally. Right. right. And the privileging, like within scripture, you privilege anytime you have, uh, anytime you effort an, a scriptural understanding of something, there's going to be a privileging of one concept over the other. Right. Right. So if, if, if someone is, has an emotional imbalance or something and, and, uh, and the idea of medicine is something that you see in scripture. I mean, there's prescriptions for taking things that will, you know, that will aid a person, like taking wine for your stomach or whatnot. Like, I don't think the Bible's against prescribing. It's not against physiological, uh, uh, there's, it's not against physical remedies, right? But another per principle would get privileged above that one. Right. Right. And like, so you're saying it really has a lot to do with the hermeneutic. Well, no, I mean, it does, on many levels, we're privileging. Like, they shine the spotlight of a spiritual outlook on a spiritual solution to the problem of an emotional imbalance, right? Sure. And And it could be like, the answers that they could give you could be like, you need to be around the church more, you need to read scripture more, you need to pray more, you need to talk to your pastor more and all of these things might be great things they might be useful things even for your emotional balance but to privilege privilege them over something like getting help or to privilege them over the idea of you know making any kind of effort to understand your psyche mm. right from a phenomenological perspective looking at your own psyche, your own patterns and trying to understand them. I mean, there's scriptures about not understanding like, why would you want to understand man's heart? It's like, okay. Uh, well, I live in my head. I live my life, you know, understanding why my heart does the thing. You know, if you, I guess you could use the word heart is interchangeable, you know, with like core or center, right? Like, you know, why would I not want to understand my center, right? You know, why wouldn't I want to understand what makes me tick? Because, right. I mean, that's, I mean, there's a passage, I haven't thought about it in years, but it, I believe it's in Psalm 119. Man, I want to say 109, but, um, but it says that my soul is continually in my own hand. And I remember, I remember reading that years back and thinking, my soul is continually... Because there's a lot of uh, verses and ideas that come in conflict with that. You know, like, no, I'm calling the shots. My soul's in my hands. Like, well, no, there's, you know, it's in God's hands. Well, no, but my soul is in my hand. That's what that's saying. Well, no, but it's actually in God's hands. He has this plan and this will, and he determines kind of how things go. And yes, like you, you participate in his will, but you're not really in the driver's seat. And it's like, well, no, my soul's in my hand. And I remember thinking like that felt so liberating, even something that simple. And it really is true, you know, you know, even transcendent of that specific text, like the idea is that I have agency. I, I can look into 
my own soul and I can try to figure out how to live the best possible life, um, you know, how to how to be successful and not in like the dog eat dog world, climb the ladder successful, but in like being the best version of myself possible successful. Yeah. You know, that's not going to happen if you don't see what's making you tick or if you don't explore some of those things. I don't know if this would be a good time to bring out that thing we were chatting about with the floorboards. But well, that know. would be that that's like the next the next part of his yeah, definition. Yeah, yeah. We can hit that because like because that's a really important one, like trauma. Right. And psychological. Uh, um, um, how would you say how did how does he say it? Psychological wounding. Wounding. Yeah. yeah. Like that's. And and anything historical that would be haunting you or affecting your psychology today is like so, so we could definitely talk. Yeah, we will talk about that. But but just to close up on this emotional thing, what you're saying is is really interesting that within scripture, the idea of agency with regards to your own makeup, the the idea of not self control necessarily, but the fact that your own your own um, quality of life. Or psychological yeah, no, quality great, of life yeah. is, in some manner, is something that you can, you can have an effect on. Yes. Yeah. And I, I think there's some. Uh, yeah, there's definitely a balance to this. Yes. Like, I felt like, when when I studied biblical psychology, I felt like there was a piece missing. Mm. And um, and honestly, when I studied uh, general psychology, a Psych 101 course that I took for audit. I also felt there was like a piece missing and I personally feel like these are two pieces that need to be put together yeah and stop being at war with each other sure and yeah um, yeah uh, when I was initially presented with this idea I had the pushback that wait there are people that go through the religious rituals and um, and they're healed because of the religious yeah. rituals they're healed because they join a community. Yeah, they act. They behave as a surrogate rather than a replacement for healing. Yeah, yeah. It's a vehicle for healing. And I think yeah, it yeah. becomes a vehicle for healing sometimes. Yeah. Like even um, and even if you go back to very traditional churches, like cathedrals were designed to give you a sense of God, and there are stories of people just walking into a cathedral and getting healed. Yeah. So but I, my only reservation with saying people do those rituals and get healed is that okay so i would say it this way so i don't want to contribute to the erosion of anyone's hope in jesus or in faith or in anything else really um as long as it's not damaging or harmful i i want to cheer them on as they explore different avenues if it's of effective healing, if it's effective for them what i would say though is that some people have um approached those rituals approached uh, that faith system, and they have felt at one point they were healed by those ideas. But then when the blank hits the fan, um, they have found that actually they had never really dealt with the root issue. Like They, they had been sidestepping. Right, they had right, been sidestepping, or they had found some kind of release, some kind of peace for their, their spirit, but it was like a temporary fix. It was like a Band-Aid for the thing that they actually weren't looking at. So again, if someone says like, I have experienced healing from this situation or that situation or this experience or that experience via my religious faith, you know, I want to respect that. I want to put my hands off and say, look, 
that's awesome. I'm glad that you have found that kind of healing or claim to have found that kind of healing. What I would say is I do wonder, though, if when, you know, something explodes in the future, if you might not take a look in the mirror and say, wow, like similar to the look I took, which is, wow, I haven't even looked into myself at all. Like well, well, I, felt that free, it was I felt free, I felt but I wasn't. The idea that it's that it was your flesh, like with emotional problems. Oh, that's a huge. Like, that's a huge if you, can of worms. If but you let's, say, let's go there. But if you say like, uh, well, Cindy, you you seem to be getting upset a lot. You know that. You know, you have two. You have a road. You have like a fork in the road here, Cindy. What, what, what do you think about the fact that you're getting upset a lot? In a religious framework, the one that I that I grew up in, the answer could be, you can, there's a, and there's many answers you can give from Scripture that which is what we were just talking about. You have a hermeneutic, you know, arms race basically. Yeah. You have you, like which which concepts privileged over the other, and if Cindy's if Cindy has a in uh, if she has like a either caused or self caused inclination towards well. That emotional outburst was my flesh, and sure. I'm not my flesh. Like that's the old man, or that's just that's just who I was before Jesus, or who I am without Jesus. So I want to comment on that, if you don't mind. I don't mind. Just because I don't want to lose the thought. Wellwood talks about that exact thing. He calls it a compensatory identity versus a deficient identity, and he says that the compensatory identity is the one that I create to compensate for the deficiency. So, like instead of Cindy saying you know, I really got to figure out why it is that I'm triggered by this and why I'm lashing out or why I'm upset. The compensatory identity says, well, because I'm a new person and, and because I'm, we could say a new creature in Christ. That's one of the phrases we remember. Um, I don't have to think about the anger. I don't have to think about the issue, the outburst, because I'm, I have this compensatory identity, this, this identity that's compensating for the fact that there's an issue and allows me to not look at that issue. You know? So like when I'm listening to what you're saying, I'm thinking of exactly what Wellwood said, which is like, you know, you could encourage Cindy in that framework to develop an identity that's separate from her behavior. And I even remember a phrase, uh, how, how did, how was it worded? There's no condemnation for what you do because what you do isn't connected to who you are. Okay, and I remember right. that phrase specifically. And in this context, it's kind of dangerous because it's like And in one in one sense like it can give someone it can give someone like being Okay, so there's a It can give someone hope. It can give someone a new beginning. I mean, that's why the concept of repentance is such an interesting one. Like repent the idea of actually changing your mind. Right. Like if you if you have these emotional outbursts and through the idea of a new identity in Christ or some kind of a religious restart button, right? If you if you actually get the restart through the restart button and it works. If you had a behavior pattern before and that behavior pattern changes, right. even if it's a little bit at first, right? Like it's it's hard to demonize that because it's acting as a modality, a successful mo- modality, right? Sure. But, but the, it, and I think it's important to say though, like in in dealing with the issue for Cindy or Phil or John or whoever the hypothetical person we're talking about is, you know, in facing the facts of Cindy's behavior, you're not beating her up for it in a psychological or therapeutic no. context. So so like the idea that like telling her right, it's not the opposite of. 
it's not the complete opposite of you you are you are uh perfect in god it's not the opposite like you it's it's just an active uh relationship with your emotional framework yeah, so I mean, it's... It, rather than a bypassing that's the point of this it's not like it's not a it's not an inversion of scripture it's rather than a blanket that allows you a pass on dealing with your emotional framework you take you make an effort to look at it and see what your agency can do about your emotional I see framework. What you're saying. I, I just mean more that like when when discussing with Phil or John or Cindy like hey um, you know I think we should look at this emotional issue it's not in the context of and you're a piece of crap right what, but but that right. is that's part of why that other modality that other approach works and does impart hope is because it says like you're not a piece of crap you're great and you're going to be right. you just confirm it confirms that that your emotional system is a piece of crap right and then exactly. it gives and you that's, a pass that's what i'm it. nervous about it's like right. it's like that's that fallen gross part of right. you Which, that we don't want to talk about and it's like no, crazy. <laughs> like that's not how you want to think about it that's a crazy way to look because at yourself. you're you're partitioning yourself and i want to read this quote from wellwood he says um I should say it differently. It's not a crazy way to look at yourself. It's not a useful way to look at yourself. Sure. And why why bypass why bypass the ability to make yourself and your life better? Yeah. Like if you can make your life better, why say I'm just going to take a pass on this? Why not dig deep and learn about yourself and figure out if you can do anything to change the way that you behave right or the way that your emotional structure functions yes right with help you want to obviously doing he, it with help he he uh he has this phrase that stuck with me tracking and unpacking like i'm tracking the issue i'm like putting my finger on it and then either either with the help of a professional or with someone who loves me and won't judge me i start to unpack what i tracked but i i, I hesitate to use it because it's got that like kind of cheesy like like the OxyClean, set it and forget it. Like, <laughs> track it and unpack it. Well, you're getting close to you're getting close to your uh, your metaphor. So why don't we move into the next one? Because well, I just wanted to read this quote because it it. Go ahead. Yeah. I just wanted to make sure I got this quote in because it's what you just said. Uh, Trying to move beyond our psychological and emotional issues by sidestepping them is dangerous. It sets up a debilitating split between, and he uses the Buddha because again he's observing a Buddhist community between the Buddha, or we could say between the christ or the god however between the buddha and the human within us so you're talking about a a spiritual bypassing in buddhism right now right because that's right. where this all came from not in christianity no but i think it applies it does apply yeah, yeah, yeah. and then it says it, it and it leads to a conceptual one-sided kind of spirituality where one pole of life is elevated at the expense of its opposite mm. Absolute truth is favored over relative truth, the impersonal over the personal, emptiness over form, transcendence over embodiment, and detachment over feeling, which wow. is loaded. But Detachment I, over feeling. So with emotion, right. like to, to say, oh, wow, I can just detach myself from my emotional framework right. and not and even deal with it at all. spirituality, and that's right. what asceticism is in a right. nutshell. Right, which it's, is, yeah, that's wow, that's insane. Isn't that a lot that's to think insane. about? And then he says later, one other thing I wanted to read, and I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to read quotes the whole time, I promise, but this was just such a rich interview. But he said something about feelings that really, I really liked. Um, because I, I know in some in some doctrinal frameworks the idea of feelings um, is a tricky one because feelings are demonized as part of the flesh when they are 
uh, negative um, feelings are looked at as less trustworthy than our reason or less trustworthy than our uh, doctrinal framework. And, you know, of course, like, we don't want to follow every whim, but feelings are telling us something. It's the body's way of communicating something. And I want to find that quote for you guys. From my perspective as an existential psychologist, feeling is a form of intelligence. It's the body's direct, holistic, intuitive way of knowing and responding. It is highly attuned and intelligent, and it takes account of many factors all at once, unlike our conceptual mind, which can only process one thing at a time. Unlike emotionality, which is a reactivity that is directed outward, feeling often helps you contact deep inner truths. So that explains why demonizing emotion is a really dangerous thing because it's an indicator light of your exactly of your your psychological state and yes. and maybe like things under the surface subconscious if you want to talk yes. about su the subconscious or the unconscious mind. Even if you think about it on an animal level, when a when a dog has its hackles up, right. you know, or when you know the hair on the back of or our neck gets angry. Up, yeah, when you get angry, <laughs> right? Uh, you know, it's it's your body is saying something to you, and if you if you demonize the idea of feeling, and you say, well, that's not that's subservient to this doctrinal framework or uh, this course of reason. Don't worry about your feelings. I even remember, don't trust your feelings, you know, because emotions can't think; they're untrustworthy. Ooh, but that's quite it. But what? So, let's <laughs> <laughs> just park there for a second because that's so good. Oh, right, go ahead. But what? Okay, so. Here's where it gets really dark, is when the indicator light is telling you something about your vehicle, right? Right. But the doctrine tells you ignore that the indicator, indicator light. light is actually a is going to be a deceptive voice, right? And that that you instead of listening to your feelings, you need to listen to me or this book or whatever the, the interpretation mm -hmm. of this book that's being presented right or however you want to put it yeah no it's but, it's insidious but the control and like <laughs> and it, least. if you think about like i was just watching that bikram yoga uh uh documentary on netflix mm -hmm. bikram was this genius yogi and he he set up shop in hollywood he had like elvis was his first customer and then nixon and and his control over his people was it was all tied to uh, to emotion he was he was essentially like leveraging them with their emotions mm. and the control that you can have over people when you say like I am your I am where you will learn how to live this life I am where you will learn that that's scary not somewhere else me and a notch down from that might be someone who says like you know this book or this building or 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 this system is the answer for your life don't listen to your emotions that is not everyone can be right about that so if 10 people are saying that one of them is right <laughs> and nine or or 10 of them are wrong right, right. but at least nine of them are wrong well, i think so, what you said is is but is you, powerful yeah i mean but i'm just say saying like if you just do your the numbers light. if you just do the numbers if you if if ignore your indicator light, listen to me, is attached to propositional phrases. Sure. And two churches say that. Say, ignore your indicator light, listen to me, the Jehovah's Witness. And the other church says, ignore your indicator light, listen to me, Christian science. Right? They're going two completely different directions propositionally. So the, the thought I'm having to that is, so 
Yeah, I'm I'm a math teacher, and uh, actually, I've been studying a lot about math anxiety, and so that oh, that I feel like I have that, Sam. Explain more. Right. So <laughs> the thing anxiety. is that that indicator light turns on the second someone steps into a math ca classroom for most people, the majority of people. So we're trying to turn that off. So. So in that situation, they have to turn that indicator light off or else they're not going to pass the class. And really, a lot of the cause of it is that uh, elementary ed teachers have math anxiety. Uh, over half of elementary ed teachers fail the math portion of their licensure test on the first go. So, um, uh, so over half of elementary ed teachers just don't understand math. And they transfer that anxiety when they're teaching math. And I think it's just not a comfortable, so. like I know if I look back on my high school career, um, math was my least favorite subject. I did have anxiety. Mm -hmm. I don't think it was explained the way in our friendship you've explained it mm -hmm. to me when I've been transparent that some of that math, it, it's not really about the assignment that feels ridiculous as much as it is teaching your brain how to do certain Exactly. Solving. Yeah. But that was never explained to me. It was right. just like, you suck. You're lazy. You know, mm -hmm. you don't understand this. I'm not going to stop the class for you. It's like, but I, I feel like, again, when we're talking about an indicator life in a theological setting, it's not something demonstrable that you can write on a board. Yeah. It's not like right. you could be like, yeah, but like turn off your emotions because X plus Y, you know, and it's like, no, like the idea that someone would ask you to, I, I love how you said the indicator light to, or, or, I mean, it's kind of, like you said, it's dark to think that someone would say your own indicator light is deceptive. I mean, how can you possibly trust yourself? And I know that that's, that leads us into another, down another rabbit hole, which is you can't trust yourself because you're falling, which is a whole nother ball of wax. Yeah, but, that's the same, that's the same realm, isn't it? Yeah, it's yeah. like, it's like, and I think honestly, I told someone recently, they, they asked about like healing. Well, explain from where things. that concept comes from. Which which concept of like like the you can't trust yourself verse for that is is uh, in Proverbs should be three, Jeremiah right? seventeen nine three five two right Proverbs oh you're talking three, about five. leaning on your own understanding oh okay yeah. yeah so so wow it's been a while since that quote is trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding and then the verse that I constantly think about is the heart is deceitful I think it's Jeremiah seventeen nine and desperately wicked uh, who can know it. And I think the Hebrew there might be incurably wicked, like, like you have no way out of that wickedness. Um, and there's a there's a lot of them. And there, you know, the whole head is sick and heart is faint. Even though that's a critique of of Israel as a nation. In Isaiah one, people use that to say that like we can't trust our own thinking. And I think this is where, um, you know, this is where Thomas Aquinas um, is a bit of a hero in my book. I don't agree with a lot of the conclusions he came to. But he did argue that the mind wasn't fallen within a theological framework, and he was demonized for that. That it gave it gave the person the medium to commune with God. Sure. So the idea that you couldn't trust it would mean that you couldn't trust your understanding of God at all. Exactly, and I mean that's, or that's your understanding it. of Scripture, because I've been I've mm -hmm. heard that before. We're like, well, you can't understand your understanding. You can't trust your understanding of God. You have to trust Scripture. But there is no separation of the mind and the mind's place in understanding scripture right from from your relationship with scripture you you perceive language with your logical mind right and you can't i mean like the the old joke like the problem with the bible is you have to interpret it it's like 
you can't you can't just not read the text and interpret it like right. it is a text. This it you're be like, trusting you're trusting your understanding to understand any of the exactly. verses in so, scripture. So you can't say like here, pick up that book from you know William Shakespeare, and now just read it, but don't interpret it. It's like that's imp- that's literally bio- neurobiologically impossible. Idea. Yeah. So yeah. so the idea that the mind is fallen, the emotions are fallen, and we can't trust our indicator light. I think that's. That's worth saying and repeating. Because Could there be a social aspect to this as well? Like, uh, like, like what, with social anxiety, maybe? No, what, what I'm thinking of is uh, someone might be a jerk and they call it kingdom warfare. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that, that whole thing. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you, so. could, you could essentially, and I've said this before to you guys, you could use certain teachings as an accountability eraser or as a magic act where somebody calls you out for something and you clap your hands and it's gone. I mean, it's uh, especially with, with behavior patterns that are negative being framed as uh, warfare. I mean, that is... That's the third one. We could talk about that one now well, if you want to. how do you want... I mean, how do you want to... I just, I'm kind of just letting Because letting getting flow. into bad patterns and how you should correct your behavior and whether or not you get a pass on, like, on misbehavior is, an, is like... Right. We can talk about it all at the same time, though. I re- I'm really interested in hearing about about because I, I think it's a it's a it's a linchpin for other problems, which is like developmental trauma. Yes, and like and and not even trauma on the level of child abuse or or car accidents or warfare or something, but just perceived trauma. Like a little kid will take something. Rather, you know, you know, sometimes like benign, and he'll perceive it as trauma, right? Like the other day, my, uh, we were t- my my, one of my children was scared about something, right? And I, I like. It took me a minute to understand why they were scared, you sure. know, and then uh, I was listening to a podcast, where they were these two guys were talking about getting in your kid's head, to. to like condescend to what about the situation was scary to them even though it wasn't it wasn't a threatening situation they were perceiving it as trauma so like how much of your psychological framework right now is due to actual and perceived or 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 experienced trauma because a lot of people don't like don't like thinking of their experience as trauma right it doesn't matter if it, if you experience it as trauma it affects your psychology yes. going forward. It misunderstanding or or intended malevolence. It doesn't matter, which is really interesting. You're saying either way, it's going to affect your brain chemistry. Yeah, yeah. And then the idea that so he's so he's saying here like something can happen to you, or you can experience something. Yes, that can that can become a point of reference for you going forward. Definitely. And and a spiritual perspective can aid you in sidestepping the fact of that point of reference in your history, which is incredibly important to know that you that you can ignore something that you shouldn't ignore. Yes. That you can ignore something that happened to you and even if it's difficult to look at it it's not beneficial to you to sidestep it. 
and back to the darkness, it might be beneficial to a given system that you sidestep something that happened to you. Yeah. You had this incredible metaphor the other day when we were talking about it, about something under the floorboards that right. you can actually have like a suit. You, I mean, yeah, I was saying that like uh, essentially you could have a traumatic experience that's like a suitcase under the floorboards. I don't know how many of the listeners have watched old mafia films where the the mafioso is about to be caught, so he pops up the floorboards and he grabs a bag or he grabs a case or whatever, and that's kind of where the thoughts came from. But um, the idea that we have these experiences, we have these wounds, we have uh, these these painful things that have happened to us, and they're in a suitcase under the floorboards, and it is possible that healing could happen if we popped up that floorboard, you know, brought up that suitcase, you know, above the floor and either unpacked it. I, I mean, I would recommend unpacking it with people who either are trained or with a, a loving community or a group of people who love you and wouldn't judge you. But the idea is that you would unpack what's beneath the, the floorboards and try to figure out if that's what's actually affecting your behavior. And uh, the idea that a, a religious framework would tell you not to pop the floorboards up because it's paid for, because it's gone, because that's your past and that's not who you are. There's a lot of ways you could say it, um, you know, but really what you really need is to pop up those floorboards. So the idea is that maybe there's something in your life that you've experienced that's actually affecting your behavior now. And maybe it was a couple decades ago, but you've never, you know, you've never popped up those floorboards and pulled out that suitcase and unpacked it. And I think like if the system you're in is discouraging you from that process, um, you know, I would, I would strongly disagree with that because, yeah. because that could hold some answers that, you know, yes, they're not explicitly biblical answers, I mean, think but of they're the, answers. Think of like, <laughs> they're the, important. Think of the memes that you see online that have like, you know, like there's like some Zen, you know, some Zen scenery and some trite phrase that could work for someone at some point in time. Sure. But it has to do with like just bypassing your life before this day. Yes. Like being it's, it's becoming not being right. Which right. comes from French existentialism. It comes from that crowd, like Sartre and those guys like being is like true being is becoming, which is like pointing you forward. Which is awesome. Yeah, it's a and, great thought. Like, and all of these, uh, not all of these ideas, but a lot of these religious ideas are really important ideas and can work at certain points of time when there's a lucid mind that's utilizing these ideas. Right. But if you're bypassing, it means that you're you're relegating your agency. Yes. Right. You're 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 giving your agency to a system either for ease. Or because it's so daunting that whoever's willing to help you is is going to get greenlit, right? Mm -hmm. That's another thing to think about. Like people have – life is hard and churches are trying to help people. Most churches are trying to help people. So people going into those doors, of course they're going to greenlight the dogma to aid their help, right? So it's almost like you know, uh, you and I have gone back and forth on on tough love and I think that – I think that therapy, like real therapy cares about, like Peters, like Jordan Peterson said, like, I care about the part of you that cares the best for you. Like, I care about the part of you that wants the best for you and for your family and for your society. and Your best for, self, best your version be of yourself. Like, yeah. I want that part of you to do better. Like, there's a lot of parts of you that can do better. But like, like a good therapist is going gonna, is gonna to look at 
what capacities you have, the most positive capacities, he wants those things to grow, right? Yeah. And, he, and, he, and it, not at the cost of knowing yourself or knowing your tendencies or any of those things, but just just true encouragement. Yeah. You know? I mean, I, I said recently, you know, someone was, someone was uh, telling me that they had, you know, reservations about the therapeutic process, you know, because, because they were deferring to God's will or God's, uh, how, how would you say that his, um, vehicle of transformation, uh, whether that be doctrinally or through meditation, however. Um, and I, I, I threw out the, the idea that, that Jesus threw out, which was actually something written in his time. It wasn't original with him, but it's, uh, you know, physician heal thyself. Yeah. He quoted that, you know, and that's really interesting that he quoted that um, because to me, the fact that he thought it was worth quoting and it wasn't even him, like he wasn't like, here's my original thought. I'm going to say this real quick. He was like, people are saying and your your people have said this thing, hmm. you know, like physician, heal yourself. And like, I just think, you know, there's so much, so much of the, uh, the pain that happens within a religious framework is, is because we we yield that autonomy. We give away that agency that, that we, I really feel like we're supposed to have, you know, and, and, and then it's almost impossible to heal yourself when, you know, you have no lever to reach yourself. So how does it, so how does it work? So you got a suitcase under the floorboards, you're living your life, your, your current psychological framework and uh, your current psychological framework, your behavioral patterns, all these things could be affected by, an event, a set of events, a you know, a period of your life yes. that 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 is affecting your today. And it's under the floorboards and you don't either don't understand it or don't know about it. Or you've right? been told or, not to look under the or floorboards. Or you've been told not to think about your past at all and look under the floorboards at all. Right. Like that could be I mean, it could be as innocent on the part of those telling you not to. It could be as innocent as you you live in guilt about being a bad brother when you were young like i did i had a lot of guilt about it and and it might be that just processing that concept for 30 seconds can aid you in going forward properly so like someone telling me like don't keep dwelling on it like you understand that part of and, and it can be almost a positive way of helping you sidestep the thing under the floorboards. You know enough about it and you don't need to live under the floorboards with it. Right. Like it can be that it can be there's the scale of intentionality here can go from that helpful, like actually a little bit helpful sure. to the worst kind of unhelpful, which would be within our organization. You were abused within our organization. You know, you were brought up with this idea that affected your life improperly, and that thing is under the floorboards. So the last thing I would want you to do is look under the floorboards. And no one would say those things, right? But that could be the intentionality. It can oh, go so gross. It, the the mm -hmm. range can go from one to the other. Yeah, no, I mean, there's like, definitely like I think it's important to, to say that there's definitely people who mean well. Like this Bikram guy. I just want to finish the. Yeah, yeah. This Bikram guy, like, there were cases of like abuse. Where he, the people that were becoming teachers in his system, he would he would like pressure them sexually, and then when when the when the advance was denied, he would act like it never happened. Sure. Right. And uh, it, and there's even cases like not with him, 
that I've heard yet, but there's cases of like wrongs happening and actual threats being put on the table about going under the floorboards. Oh yeah, no, like right? pressure to sweep things under the rug, you mean? Legal pressure. Yeah. Oh yeah. Physical oh, yeah. pressure, like there's, I, I'm sure well, this... many religious frameworks have included that kind of control oh, yeah. where you're like, we're like, you're like, not only am I the spiritual leader here, you're messing with God here, looking mm -hmm. under the floorboards, or like, I'm, or you might disappear. <laughs> so like yeah. in between, so my point, my point is like, the innocent, even helpful attempt to let you put the past behind you. Like that phrase can be useful. Sure. And then the very, very uh, dark and sinister control of like, don't you dare look under the floorboards, you might disappear. There's this in between that ranges from those. Right. And, and the don't look under the floorboards can be somewhat, uh, it can be somewhat naive most of it, I think, is just naive. Like, hey, don't look at the past. Hey, like, you know, buck up. And right, like, right, right. don't think about it's all like the bad things that happened to you. Yeah, yeah, and it has spiritual kind of, you know, spiritual wrapping sometimes. So you just presented two poles to the, the furthest pole. Actually, before I speak, Sam, <laughs> do you have something to say? Because I'm, I'm, I'm just enjoying the conversation between you two. Okay, I just want to make sure that you're involved. <laughs> feel, feel free. Feel free yeah, to, to I, fire I away. Um. So the poles, right? So like the furthest pole, which is the, you know, the, the grossest, ugliest option you presented, which is an actual pressure to suppress at the expense of that person's mental health because of the image or reputation of an organization. Right. We have seen that historically. It has happened, <laughs> yes. right? Yes. So I've, I've been thinking, you know, because I had a, another situation, you know, recently and a phrase that came to mind that I've been thinking about is it's shocking the things you can overlook when you think you're saving the world um, and I think like when when you go when you talk about that extreme poll I think if somebody I mean I I'd have to concede that there are just bad people mixed in religion right yes it's it's not the majority uh, but they're just, just bad people, people that are on bad. the planet so there'll be yeah, bad people so there's gonna be statistically religion. like there's gonna be bad people but but let's say that's not the case it's not like intentional you know, malicious, you know, evil suppression of some horrible thing that's happened to a person. It can just be thinking you're changing the world. Look, like, like there are people, like, and I, I'm going to go backwards in time a little, so I hope this is okay for the studio. You know, there are people who are lost. I don't use this phrase anymore. I don't think in these terms anymore, but this is what I remember hearing. There are people who are lost, and they are perishing, and there's very little that matters in light of that. Yeah. So, like, if that is your... Your driving mantra. We're saving the world. We are saving the world, and there are going to be casualties. There are going to be people that screw up. There's going to be bad stuff that happens. That's the sin. That's the human. That's what it, whatever. But we're, you know, this thing that happened to you, like, yes, it's bad, but, like, can't you see the bigger picture that we are doing all this good work? This yeah. organization, organization is doing this all religion, this, good work. this faith system, this family. You could see a bunch of different ways. To me, I feel like this that's at the core good. of a lot of it is like it, it's not just saving face because you're afraid of being embarrassed. I do think that's part of it. Yeah. I think some of it is this organization, this faith system, this message needs to continue. And if you were to jeopardize that because of this bad thing that happened to you, look at all the people that would perish. And that happens. Right. I mean, there there are mm -hmm. cases where, like you're, you're describing, where someone is going to report abuse of you know, a priest or a pastor or a bishop or whatever, an elder deacon and 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 it is suppressed but don't you see all the good we do 
have you yeah. seen us out? You know, yeah. we, we give the soup to the, the people that are, are homeless and we, we spend a lot of money on digging wells in this underdeveloped country. And I understand what happened to you is bad and I'm really sorry, but, yeah. but please like, you know, if you could just deal with that on your own, if we you, are going forward doing something important. If you bring this out from under the floorboards, it will blow up the effort, right. the fruit, right. the good intention. It will take away this organization. It will do away. Right. It, it's Isn't that insecurity though? That, like oh, that, that's, that's insecurity. Like if it's really God's work, then how, how can you revealing abuse mess that up? There's also like, I mean, that's a great there's question. also, I mean, that's a, gr- it's a great way to, that's to a ask great it. Way to say you know, it. Like, okay. Like if, the, if you think that this is really this important thing that is saving people from perishing, you know, why, why would we be afraid of things being revealed under yeah. that, you know? Yeah. Under wouldn't that. you, wouldn't you be secure about it? Yeah. It's no, interesting. Cause you could think of it too. Like, um, like a family, you have a family currently things seem really good. Like you, it's the holidays. Everyone's coming together. Yeah. You know, Billy's got his new girlfriend here. Everyone's here. Grandpa's grandpa's doing really good. Grandma survived cancer. Everybody's doing good here, doing good. And one member of the family is suffering because of Uncle Fred. Right. I'll just say it like that. Uncle Fred 15 years ago. And they've got an addiction problem now. And what Uncle Fred, what happened with Uncle Fred 15 years ago is starting to come to the forefront because because the suitcase under the floorboard has affected you in such a way that now you your addiction, whatever you go to AA and your addiction has is bringing forward your abuse and the family's doing good. Right. Yeah. Like so this is similar to what Sam was just saying, like, but but maybe even it's maybe even more difficult. It's like, it's like the insecurity that you could have is like, man, this is good though. Like we're doing good. Like things are good. Like, why would, why you, would you bring this up? up? Yeah. Like, and, and in a family, wow, man, like you actually, your family can have some serious problems after this comes out. And a lot of families, I mean, this isn't spiritual bypassing, but it's similar. I mean, there's all kinds of re- religious systems where ancestral worship is a part of it. Right. Think of a Chinese, like in Chinese culture, if like there's ancestral worship and you want to come, you want to imagine if grandpa as one of your ancestors was also your abuser. Yeah. Right. That's That's, right. So, but, but just to, but just to close the loop on what I was trying to say is like, you even could be doing good, like real good. Like we're all doing good. And like you bring this up and it just devastates everything. Mm. You know, like it just, it throws everything. And what are we going to press charges on uncle Fred? Right. And it's like, and, and all of these prescriptions for keeping the thing under the floorboards, it's like, it's forced, it's forced bypassing, which yeah, is really scary. Exactly what it is. And that's a scary way to say it. You're right. Scary. And it's like, if, I mean, to, to me at the end of the day, it comes down to the oft repeated one soul is worth more than the whole world, right? This was something that I believed then and I believe now in a different way. But I, it has remained constant that uh, helping one person, you know, helping one person cope with suffering, heal, become whole, and really start to crush life—that is worth more than the whole world. So if that's your, if that's your driving philosophy, then that one person who's been abused, that one person whose marriage 
got torched because you know because of the faith system or that one person who's living in addiction because of the things that have happened that one person who was you know uh you know witnessed domestic violence as a kid growing up and like that one person should be worth more than the whole world and certainly more than that organization's reputation so it's like i think you got to put your money where your mouth is is one soul worth more than the whole world or is it not and if it is then there should never be a price too high. So in light of that, can you talk about what gaslighting is and how it works? Sure. Um, and I wanted to throw out this this idea before I do that, um, just because I think it's another way of saying what we're saying. I'm a learner who learns from multiple angles. I know Dave is similar and Sam is similar. <laughs> so I also thought of the floorboards. Um, then we had two other ones we had thought of. One was a U-Haul truck. Um, you're in a U-Haul truck. It's, it's packed real tight with cargo. But you're in the front cab, you know, and the truck is heavy. The handling's not so good. You're not getting good gas mileage because there's so much cargo that you're hauling. And like I, I was just saying, like similar to the illustration of the floorboards, like wouldn't it be amazing if uh, your faith community could help you unpack the truck? Like wouldn't that be the ideal faith community? Wouldn't that be the ideal leader or mentor or pastor or uh, spouse or you know, family would help me unpack the cargo. Um, and I was, you know, I was talking to, to Dave a few days ago, just thinking like there is, there is a um, temptation to sit in the cab, put on a good podcast, you know, uh, relax a little. Hey, I know I'm hauling a lot, but all that matters is what's in this cab right now and where we're going, which is really important. You know, and I think just like the floorboards, like you can stay your whole life in that cab and you might, you might wonder why you feel so heavy. But what if we were to unpack that truck? How much lighter would you feel? Like how much better would the handling be? So just, and then also the other thing we were talking about was like um, a painkiller or a numbing something that actually needs surgery. We talked about that as well. And they're all illustrations saying the same thing in a different way. But, but basically like imagine if, imagine if you use doctrinal prescriptions, we could call them or a mercy or a grace pill or uh, the cross life, however you'd want to say that as a way to numb something that actually needs to be addressed on a deep, deep psychological level. And actually in the studio now, we're realizing that we went a little later than we had anticipated because, and we're just really just getting warmed up. Yeah, which, we're just getting started, I think. <laughs> you know, um, so we might actually, we didn't plan this, uh, but I think we're going to do a part two. So um, if you enjoyed part one and you want to weigh in on it or contact us or help us frame episode two, please do. Uh, maybe we'll have more gentlemen or less gentlemen in the studio. I don't know. Um, but I just want to, you know, just want to thank you for tuning in. And I, I really think this is, you can probably hear the pathos definitely in my voice and in the other guys as well, uh, because this is really important to us. We care about people having good mental health and the best chance possible to succeed in life. And sometimes that's not going to happen if we don't pop those floorboards open, if we don't unpack that truck, and if we don't stop numbing the thing that needs to be healed. So um, if you're interested in, in part two and where we're going to go with this, we actually don't even know, but we have some material. We'll, we'll think it through. Um, well, let's, let's do a part two. So thanks again. Signing off here from live at Agilum, or live at or from. I, always, from. <laughs> I never get the name of our podcast right. And then I wanted to say this because... I've been wanting to say it for seven episodes. I'm a potato, and those are my tots. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Wow. <laughs>